Welcome to the Lessons for Living television program. My name is Bill Santos. Thank you so much for watching. Well, as promised on our previous program, Derek Sloan is back with us again this week. Derek, welcome back. Thanks for having me again, Bill. I appreciate you making the time available to, uh, to spend with, our, with us and our viewers. And uh, we, we ended the last program uh, sort of at the point where you were involved in the Trinity West Western University case and that, that and some other things became a catalyst that you said, I'm gonna need to step out and, and venture into the world of politics. And so can we begin there maybe and start and say, so how did that you know, go about uh, and you know, what was that experience like for you? Well, over the, I mean, I obviously went to law school thinking I would be a lawyer as most people do. Um, and it began to dawn on me over, over the period of a few years that, um, you know, um, I, I would be potentially better served to be in politics. Um, the, the students and the teachers and so on that I was, uh, that were at my school, I realized that they didn't really have the same understanding of freedom of speech and freedom of conscience uh, that I did. So one of the things about the Trinity Western case that concerned me before it was even decided on was that the majority of students and teachers at the school thought that Trinity Western should not have a law school. Keep in mind, this is a private Christian school. It's not taking you know, public money or anything like that. They just mm -hmm. have a simple uh, community covenant, a Christian document that's you know, just some generic standards of behavior that anybody would assume a Christian university right. would expect. And, and it's not the only law school. Right. right. So there's other options. Right, right, right. Else. There's so many, there's yeah. many other law schools. Yeah. So this, what happened with this case and my experience at school uh, led me to be concerned. And a lot of my classmates who, who, who believe this were also very into politics. And it occurred to me that, you know, those of us who just want to sort of go along to get, you know, go along and mind your own business. Um, there's other people who, who want to take us out and want to punish us for our, for our beliefs. And I realized that these kinds of people were going to be on the bench as judges in a couple of decades. Um, you know, and if, if, if lawyers are a barometer for, you know, the guardians of freedom or something like that, uh, I saw a very poor reading um, in law school. So I, I, began, I began to become a lot more interested in politics. And um, I began to, you know, slowly sort of think about ways I might be able to get involved. I was not, uh, you know, a politician. I didn't grow up in a family of politicians. Right. So I didn't even really know how to get involved. But uh, the place that I moved to after I graduated happened to be having a nomination race for um, a, a major political party there. And I thought, you know what, why don't I throw my hat into the ring, right. see what happens. Right. Um, before I did that though, I made, um, I spent you know, a lot of time in prayer and I made a bit of a deal with God. Um, I was articling at the time which means uh, it's a period of time after law school where you're working for a firm, um, basically uh, learning the, 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 the skills of the trade and the ropes and so on. And so I said, listen, Lord, if, if, if they hire me back, um, I'm not going to do politics because why would I? I mean, I just went to school for, for three years. Yes. I'm not going to throw that away uh, on some you know, whim. Yes. Not that you would have to throw it away, but I knew that it would be, um, I wouldn't have time to sort of you know, get into it if I was hired again. And so very shortly after that, I was notified that, you know, they liked me and, and they thought I was doing a good job, but, uh, you know, they didn't think that there was a place economically uh, uh, to, for me after articling. And so I was actually pretty happy about that because I, I got a pretty, pretty yeah. clear guidance. 
And so I kind of jumped into this nomination race. And uh, I was in an area where uh, I just moved to that area. So I didn't know a lot of people. Um, there was a lot of, you know, there's three other people in the nomination race. They all had, you know, more contacts, more financial resources than I did. And uh, I ended up winning that uh, very, uh, very decisively uh, about nine months later when, mm. when we had the vote. And uh, that was probably, even though that was just a nomination race. So for people who don't understand how politics works, before you see somebody's name on the sign, there's usually some kind of internal process in the party okay, right. to pick who represents them. Will represent them. the party, right. Exactly. So this was a, you know, a, a, a mini election where about 550 people cast a vote. And, um, but for me, that win was one of the most emotional wins of, of like any, you know, I've done a lot of things. I've been on national television, done some things that, you know, you might consider moment, momentous, but that particular day in that, you know, high school gym in Tweed, Ontario was, was probably <laughs> wow. the most emotionally significant day for me because I didn't know how it was going to turn out. Like everybody was like, you have no chance of winning. Of you haven't sold enough memberships. You don't have enough supporters. But what I was able to do, um, and one thing when I got into that room, I, um, I knew I had to go last because my, my speech was basically about my vision for the country. And I just didn't, I didn't want anybody to sort of see that I, you know, see what I was doing and then copy it. And so I prayed that I'd be drawn out of the hat to go last, and, and I was. <laughs> and so, every, wow. so everybody else got up and they spoke about, you know, themselves basically, you know, in a, in a good way, like this is, what, this is what I've done, this yeah. is, you know. But nobody really um, said what they were going to do. Like, what's your vision for the country? What do you want to do? Um, and so I got up there. I didn't, I didn't have a past to brag about, you know. I, I hadn't been a city councilor right. for 14 years. I hadn't, you know, done much really. And so I basically um, just gave my vision for the country, gave, gave a very passionate speech about how concerned I was about the direction of things. And um, a lot of people in that room who had come to support other candidates ended up voting for me. And so I was sort of the, the underdog surprise winner. Uh, I won very handily. I almost, so how these things work, you have to get 50% of the vote and it's a ranked ballot. So if nobody gets 50% on the first vote, I see. then they look to the second choice or the third choice. And I almost got 50% on the first ballot. Wow. And then I was well over 50% on the second, second ballot. So it was very uh, decisive. So that was, um, you know, very, it was a time where I was like, you know what, I'm doing the right thing. Mm -hmm. Because I wasn't really sure before that, I, you know, had I just wasted, you know, nine, nine months, uh, you know, on a frivolous sort of thing. And so um, from there, I knew that I was in the right calling. And, um, you know, I'd always, I never had gotten into politics because I like politics. I don't even really like politics per se. I'm just very concerned about the direction of Canada. And I know that we need to stand up and do something about it. And that doesn't mean that, you know, exactly what I've done is your calling. Right. But I just know that we as Canadians need to stand up and do something. And so I'd, I'd always decided that anytime a door would open that would allow me to like sort of expand my influence or, or, or make a bigger impact on things, I would go through that. And so shortly after I was elected, the opportunity to, to run for leadership of that party uh, uh, happened. And so uh, even though that doesn't really make sense to uh, the average person, you know, you wouldn't want to run for leader of a party when you haven't been a politician for long, um, I decided to do that. And so I did skip the part where I actually got elected uh, to be a member of parliament, but shortly after that, I decided to run for leadership. And, um, and again, that was a very, very interesting experience that uh, really, I think... Um, 
you know, really, I was able to get my message to, to hundreds of thousands of Canadians across the country and really strike a chord for, you know, the direction that we need to be moving in, in Canada. So, you know, sort of my assessment as a layperson looking on the outside is that there seemed to have at some point been a shift. Um, I know the Adventist Church has been ex extremely uh, vocal and participated in the argument and the fight for religious freedom. But for everyone, that we are in a marketplace here, every voice should be heard. That's the way this country is supposed to work. I'm now getting a sense as a layperson that it's that that there's been a shift in that. That it's like, no, we don't want everyone's voice heard. We want voices heard that are in alignment with what we say is the approved narrative. Is that, am I, is that something I'm reading? Am I mistaken in my reading of that? Because that's the sense that I get as a layperson. You know, that, that it's not like, listen, every, we, we want to see everyone have the, the right to express their ideas and their beliefs and their opinions and, you know, equally. But I'm getting the sense that it's not like there's certain ideas or certain opinions that, are, that there's movement to, to, to suppress, to not let you speak yeah, I Is think, that a misread? I think you're definitely right. And I think that um, I think that the governments and the leaders that we have use the language of what you've just said in terms of, oh, we believe in free speech and you can, you, you can have whatever beliefs you want. You can, you know, say whatever you want. They don't actually believe that anymore. And we're moving to a point right now where um, di diverging from you know, the popular opinion or even the government's objectives when it comes to certain policy initiatives can have real consequences. So we're seeing the time where, um, you know, if you don't believe the right thing about, um, you know, certain progressive issues or gender or sexuality or any of these things, you can be severely uh, punished from uh, an accreditation point of view if you're a professional, from a business point of view, um, or even worse, depending on, on the situation. So we're definitely in a time where uh, uh, there's far more compliance expected of people to tow certain narratives than ever before. And a lot of people haven't realized that we're there yet because the government still uses sort of the classically liberal language that you just used, where, you know, uh, you can believe whatever you want. We're a free society. So it, it's, it's a frightening time because we're seeing, um, you know, the doors of freedom shut in, in, in right in front of us. And, and where do you see that happening more or more like what have you seen you've been you've been there what like what have you seen that concerns you sure well we're seeing uh we're seeing many uh we're seeing many laws come forward that uh have sort of an ideological compliance uh, uh mechanism built in a great example of this is the Canadian Summer Jobs okay, Program. Yes, yes. And now this is years old now. Yes. But this is a really good example of sort of where we're going. Uh, the Canada Summer Jobs Program is a program where the government for years has helped uh, small businesses hire students who are on break for the summer just to sort of give them some experience and, you know, um, you know, get a student a job that wouldn't yeah. maybe have gotten one otherwise. Uh, in uh, shortly after the, uh, the Trudeau Liberals were elected, they, um, they put a little ideological uh, sort of uh, checkbox you had to check off. And it basically said something along the lines of, you agree with um, women's reproductive rights, you know, including abortion and so on. 
And a lot of organizations, whether they were religious or not, just didn't feel right checking that off. They didn't feel it was the government's business. They, they didn't feel, um, you know, that it was in any so way. So that was a condition to receive the funding? It was a condition to receive government funding that was paid for by taxpayers that was supposed to be hmm. available generally to Canadian businesses. So you may not have even had a, a, a Christian business. You could have been any kind of business, but maybe you were a Christian and you just didn't feel like checking that off. Your business had nothing to do with yeah. abortion or... Or, or, or you felt rights. it's not the government's business. And some people just felt it wasn't the government's business. What I mandated. believe on that, yeah. Exactly. So this was, the, this was their thing. They eventually kind of changed that with, after a lot of blowback in society. But this, was, this is an example of where we're going. We're seeing a lot of talk in scholarly circles about... Um, uh, making uh, charitable status contingent on sort of having the right beliefs. Mm. So if you're a church that believes in traditional marriage or believes in certain traditional values, there's a lot of people in the scholarly world who say you should not have any tax advantage or charitable advantage for that. Um, so this is the direction that we're going. We're also seeing um, we're also seeing the misapplication of a lot of different human rights laws and, and other laws like that that are silencing people who speak up and have an opinion. During um, the, uh, the last couple of years uh, when we had COVID-19, we also saw the government sort of um, uh, 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 censorship mentality on steroids where people who you know, disagreed with the way that the government was handling uh, their response to COVID-19, even doctors and nurses were getting hammered by their uh, you know, accreditation uh, boards and so on. And some of that is still ongoing. There's people wow. who are still in court uh, dealing with some of those issues. Um, there's other examples as well, but, um, you know, those are some good ones. Yeah, that's, uh, uh, I've sort of felt that as a lay person that there's been this shift. Um, one of the things I was reading about, and I think you're quite outspoken on, is um, the assisted suicide. Uh, there's apparently some shifting happening also in what that is all about. Can you explain to our viewers a little bit about what's going on? Right. So assisted suicide was brought in actually by a court decision, not by the parliament initially, uh, as, as have many changes, which is, which is a topic for another, mm. another time. But the, the uh, government at the time, the, the Trudeau liberals brought in a bill um, that was again later on struck down by the courts as being not sort of permissive enough but instead of appealing that decision, they decided just to bring in more legislation, basically opening up the floodgates for more people to get assisted suicide. And now we're at the point where um, they're going to expand it to people with mental health issues. So a lot. Uh, so that's that's actually frightening because you know how can you, uh, on one hand, uh, provide realistic you know sort of suicide prevention and counseling when. Um, assisted suicide is available for people with mental health issues. So, so no physical ailments, no pain, just a mental health issue. And, you know, lots of people uh, are at a point where they feel that they can't go on, but the point of, you know, counseling and, and psychiatry and other things, and, you know, these, these mental, like, psychiatry does not admit that there is such a thing as incurable mental illnesses. Right. Like, the whole profession is... Uh, predicated on the fact that there are you ways can, to, to yeah, you cure can deal, treat. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it, it, that doesn't mean that there's people who, who are very resistant to treatment and, and may never find uh, a treatment in their lifetime, perhaps. But the door is open, and these organizations aren't willing to concede otherwise. But what we're seeing is now an expansion soon into 
um, assisted suicide for people who have, you know, mental health issues only. And we're also seeing a lot of sort of anecdotal examples of people effectively being pushed into uh, taking this, uh, uh, taking this. And, you know, none of these things have been proven in court, but there's people who have said, listen, they kind of told me I had to either leave the hospital or choose, you know, assisted suicide. Or there's some veterans that say that they're being, you know, kind of clandestinely shuttled towards assisted suicide. And, you know, it's, it, it's awful to think about. I mean, it, it obviously saves the government a lot of money from a pension perspective if people make, make this choice. But I have a feeling there's a lot of abuse in this system. Oh, of and I don't think it's right to be, uh, you know, expanding this in, in this way. It's, it's certainly not right. And this is exactly the kind of thing that people like me were saying initially, it's a slippery slope. Everybody said, oh, you're, you know, you're crazy. It's not a slippery slope. But in fact, it's very slippery. And we're almost off the edge of the slope, but it's been only a few years. Why aren't more Christians speaking up on these issues? You know, a lot of Christians, like many people, uh, are busy working. They're busy taking their kids to activities. They're busy, uh, you know, putting bread on the table. And there's, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but I do think it's very important to, uh, for all Canadians to wake up and hold our leaders to account. Because our leaders are of the mentality that, um, you know, that they can kind of do whatever they want. And, and Canadians, you know, historically have had relatively stable government, so they don't pay as much attention to what's going on. But it is so critical at every level, at the school board trustee level, at the city councillor level, at the provincial level, at the federal level, that Canadians, you know, are, are aware of what's going on and, you know, stand up and maybe write a letter to their local member of parliament or write, a, write an email to their local provincial member um, and maybe run for something themselves if they feel called to do that. It's important to be awake and aware of what's going on. You know, it's interesting, Paul says, I'm not, you know, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, right? And it's some, it's almost seems like sometimes that uh, we just want to go along to get along. We don't want, you know, we don't want the pushback. No. You know, we don't want to be called uh, radicals or, you know, or, or unhinged or whatever, you know, the case is. But I would agree that we have a responsibility to shape our, our country. It's our country. Um, those government officials are referred to as public servants, right? I mean, it's, we're the ones that shape, that shape the country. And so I, I, would, I would encourage folks to, to be more vocal and express their opinions, whether their opinion is in alignment with mine or not. Make your opinions known, make your voice heard, right? But we can't just sit back and let, things happen and not do anything. Well, you know, I would say, to, just to sort of crystallize it for your viewers, the, you know, the way that if, if certain sort of um, people in the human rights tribunals and, and the people who are sort of in that realm of thinking, if they had their way, um, a lot of the things we believe as, Christ, as Christians would basically, we wouldn't be allowed to share those anymore. That's, what's, that's where it's gotten frightening for me. Exactly. And, and for example, one of those things would simply be Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. That implies that other people are not, that other, you know, ways of seeking heaven are not the right way. And that's effectively our, our right as Christians to believe that. That doesn't mean everybody has to believe that. That doesn't exactly. mean that other people will. That's right. But, you know, the, the sort of um, the mentality that's coming from, you know, some of this human rights legislation and, and how it's working is sort of 
everything is 100% equal. And if you in any way um, suggest that, you know, your way is the only way or the right way or whatever, that is wrong and you need to be penalized. And so um, we're moving in that direction. There's, there's a lot of other examples I can give you, but you know, the basic, you know, this sort of super plurality where everything, like there is no such thing as truth. Everything is equal. Um, you know, you may have your belief, but uh, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't mean it's true or it doesn't mean, uh, you know, that it has any validity. These kinds of things, Christianity makes some very exclusive claims. You can believe them or not believe them, but that is what these human rights tribunals are going after. They're going after the ability to have, uh, you know, specific beliefs on specific things and to basically be able to call a spade a spade or to call, uh, you know, sin or wickedness by, by its name. And that's what they're trying to undermine. And that's why, uh, that's why politics is dangerous. And that's what I noticed when I was in law school, that they, they're coming for us. And it's not everybody, but there's a, there's a committed group of political people who are trying to influence things to come after people who believe traditional Christian values. Hmm. Wow, that's a very sobering uh, warning, isn't it? It's, it's prophetic though, isn't it? I mean, there's a prophetic element to that, isn't there? The, the Bible tells us that we'll face persecution, but let's not hope and let's not wait for that to happen. Yeah. We need to get out there and, if, if at all possible, counteract it. Any, we only have a couple minutes left, and I could be talking with you. Uh, I mean, between you and Barry, I yeah. get such a lesson on, uh, sadly, as a pastor, as someone that I consider myself relatively, you know, up to par, up to speed on what's happening in the country. Every time I hear you guys, I learn something. Yeah. And this, this, the comment that you made that there's a, a movement to suppress that, to not allow certain things... That is terrifying to me. Yes. That is frightening to me. Yes, and it's, it's well on its way. For those, for those churches or groups that hold traditional views, there is a, a strong minority of people in this country who would want your status as an organization stripped and your ability to preach or say those things taken away. Wow. It was very frightening to me when I, I, I saw something I had never thought I'd ever see in Canada when I saw fences being put up around churches preventing people from entering churches during the COVID. I, I'm not here to comment on COVID and what it was, but that image is, I'll, I don't think I'll ever forget that. I never thought I'd see that in Canada. And well, I'll tell you what this is proof of. And again, not from the COVID perspective, but it's proof that Christianity does not have a privileged place as it may once have had in this country. So for people who think that, oh, well, you know, Canada, you know, it's a Christian nation, blah, blah, blah. Those protections are, are eroding and churches do not have the significance that they, they once held in, the, in this country. We're all out of time, Derek. It goes by fast, doesn't it? it very, very much does. I'm gonna make, we're gonna have you back again because we, there's so many other topics I wanna talk to you about that we haven't even haven't touched on, but I wanna thank you so much for what you've been doing and standing up for your, for your Christian beliefs. Thank you. Thank you for doing that. Yeah, glad to be here. Let thank us you. pray. Father in heaven, we wanna thank you for your love, your mercy, your kindness, and the opportunity you give us to just be your children, and to have access through what Jesus did for us to, to eternal life. I wanna thank you for Derek and his family and just continue to guide him and bless him as he, as he, as he works to allow for truth and message and your word to be presented in this country. 
Father, I pray once again for the leaders of our nation. Just guide them and allow them the, the humility to accept guidance from you. Bless each and every viewer, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've come to that time in our program where we have our book offer on each and every program. We like to make a resource available to you. And uh, on today's program, I have this little book. It's a wonderful little book. It is called The Only Hope. We know that the only hope for humankind, for this world, the problems that we experience is Jesus Christ. And I'd love to have this book in your home. And it's a short little book, but it's a very comforting, it's a, it's a very good book. We'd like to make it available to you as a gift from Lessons for Living Television. If you are interested in getting a copy of The Only Hope as a gift from us, pay close attention to the information we're about to give you. To receive today's free offer, you can log on to the Lessons for Living Television website, www.l4ltv.com. That's the Lessons for Living Television website, www.l4ltv.com. You can also write us at Post Office Box 27030, Simcoe Conlin Post Office, Oshawa, Ontario, L1G 0A3. If you live in Canada, this offer will be sent out to you free and postage paid. For viewers living outside of Canada, shipping charges will apply. If you wish, you can order this offer by calling our 1-800 number at 1-800-972-0337. 1-800-972-0337. Operators are standing by now. While on our website, you can leave a prayer request, and if impressed to do so, donate to help keep this ministry on the air. Thank you for your support. Well, we've come to the end of another Lessons for Living television program. Before we go, I want to take this opportunity to thank Derek for being with us. And Derek, folks that may be interested in getting your book, Glorious and Free, where can they go to get it? So if you go to Amazon.ca and search for Derek Sloan or Glorious and Free, you'll see both the hard copy and the uh, ebook available for sale on Amazon. Okay, so on Amazon.ca. Yeah, I think you can get it on the .com too, but if you're in Canada, you might as well go to the .ca and then you get free, you know, free shipping and all that kind of thing. Excellent. And what we will do is on our previous programs page on our website, we'll put a link there also that folks can directly then have access to the purchase of your book. And so Great. thanks for being. We're going to have you back again Good. because there's so many to. other topics yes. we need to talk about. Absolutely. Thanks, Derek. And thank you again for watching. Let me remind you of our website, l4ltv.com. On the website, you have access to all of our previous programs. As I said, there'll be a link there to Derek's book. Also, you have also a Donate Today page. Every penny that is donated to the ministry goes back into the ministry. It doesn't come to myself or my family. I pastor a church. I get a salary for that. Every penny that you commit to this ministry goes to pay for the airtime, the studio time, the gifts we give out. It's all reinvested directly in the ministry. Hey, follow me on Instagram. Every morning at 6.30 a.m. Eastern Time, I put out a short devotional video. It's a great way to get the day started. Check out our Facebook page. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. Follow me on Twitter. And you can also go to SoundCloud. Just look up Lessons for Living Television on SoundCloud. You can download an audio version of the program. I think our programs play out really well on audio. And so you can just download and carry that with it with you and listen to it on 
your way to work in your car or on public transit and, uh, and get the message that way. We are all out of time. Thank you so much for joining us. We hope to have you back with us again next time. We'll see you then. God bless you.